Yep, you lift a 250-pound man and throw him on his head. It's it's something, it's beautiful to me. I love seeing that, and that's the sport of Greco-Roman wrestling. That's why a lot of people like it, to see to watch it. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello, fans of Shuklastan, and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you? We got one week to go. We got one week to go. Yeah. One, one week, week to, go. to go. One week to go. Please don't anybody be stupid in one week to go. <laughs> yeah. They're, oh my gosh, I can't believe just like one week. Like there's that little part of me that still feels like Tokyo is not going to happen. There's mm-hmm. that little panic. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm like, how could it not happen now? Right. But mm, we're still, you know, we're hearing little stories of this person tested positive and this group's trip was delayed and this. So that pessimist in me still feels the panic. Right. And that optimist in me hopes that once events start going off and they see the competition that somebody in charge will just say oh we're gonna allow some spectators to come in i don't know how they would manage that but it would just be like oh you know show up at the surfing venue it's okay maybe well i'm more interested can we go back to talking about the heat again and just not covid 24 7 (laughs) i don't know you know because I do wonder, like, oh, heat talk would be great. But I would be complaining about heat talk, too. Because every time we talk with somebody and we ask them about the heat, everyone is just like, "Uh, yeah, we've been, uh, duh, we've been preparing for this. We know it's hot in Japan at this time of year. And it's like the journalists don't understand that athletes are a little smarter and are working with people and, and figuring out what the weather conditions are like where they're going to be. This isn't a mystery. You know, this isn't 1742 where you suddenly show up in a country. I do not speak your language. Like the missionaries showing up in Japan on their boats and and not knowing where they are. I don't know. I I just, I, I want them to happen. I want them to be good and happy times. And I want them to be safe. And I want them to it's not that I want them to be over, but I want them to, I, I, I kind of want to get beyond all of the gloom and doom that we're getting these days. Agreed. I mean, something we talk about so, so often is we want it to be about the athletes. So let's get to where we're talking about this amazing performance, this new record, this story we didn't know, that part of it, not heat and COVID and everybody's worried and it's scary and overwhelming and who can't be there. And let's talk about the kids. Exactly. Let's talk about the kids. The ki- Some of those kids are in their forties and fifties. Shut up. They're all my kids. 
All right. So uh, speaking of being focused on the athletes, let's get to today's interview. We are talking with specialist Alejandro Sancho, who is a Greco-Roman wrestler at the 67 kilogram weight class. And he's also a member of the U.S. Army World Class Athlete Program. We talk with Alejandro about how Greco-Roman works, whether or not manicures would make a difference, who to watch in Tokyo and what it's like to dump someone on their head. Take a listen. Specialist Sancho, thanks so much for taking some time for us. We're talking about Greco-Roman. So Greco-Roman compared to freestyle, Greco-Roman's upper body only. What else distinguishes Greco-Roman from freestyle? So freestyle, you could attack the legs. You could do inside trips. In Greco-Roman, it's, it's more of close contact, a little bit closer than freestyle. You know, legs are going to touch, but you're going to get penalized if you do do any types of trips or leg fouls or anything like that. Um, Greco is more upper body, so you're, you're, you're grabbing onto the guy, getting into your hooks, and uh, throwing the guy from, you know, feet to back. And that's four points. And then we do a lot of parterre, which is like ground game, where, you, you know, you get on top of the guy and you try to turn him to his back and that's two points. So it's it's a little different than freestyle and it's more, I think it's more physical, I believe. Okay, you brought up the parterre. Does that happen at specific points in the match? Cause that was when I was doing some research on that. That's one thing I didn't understand why parterre got triggered. So parterre usually gets triggered if uh, you take somebody down uh, when you're wrestling him and then you you have you can get your chance on top of parterre. It's usually thirty seconds, twenty seconds on top of him, and then if the the match is zero zero, the referee would put somebody down to parterre, and the guy that's being more active throughout the match gets a chance to score from parterre position. And matches are make sure I have this correct. Two periods of three minutes each, except for if there's like a, a such a big scoring differential yes uh there's two periods each three minutes three minutes each period so it's it's six minutes but is there some kind of mercy rule with scoring if you if you reach a certain score or you are so far apart in score that they just end the match yes if you're if the opponents has eight points more than you do then it's called a tech fall so the match is over so if it's the score is two to 10 the match would be over the guy that has 10 points would win the match so one of the things i see a lot when i watch wrestling is all the slapping <laughs> is that more a free where they're just sort of standing there and start slapping at each other like two kids in a uh playground and what is yeah. is that more a freestyle thing or or how does that work in greco-roman and and why is that is that sort of just feeling out the situation yeah, so it's it's more of filling the opponent out. We call the we call the slapping snap uh, collar ties, where we we tie up with the person and and pretty much show the guy. You know, we had we can control him. You know, from a collar tie. Uh, there's a lot of snap downs in Greco Roman as well, but there's there's a lot more digging. So the guy, it's more of chess chess game, where your chest is on the other guy's chest and you're trying to off balance him. You're trying to dig in for for an underhook. You know, your arm trying to go into his armpit. There's a lot of that in Greco-Roman. 
I'm I'm sorry. I just had the visual of the arm in the armpit a lot. <laughs> Not being very. Pleasant. I wish I wish my camera would work. I would like show you guys, but oh, <laughs> this, camera doesn't this okay. work. It's okay. We're we're a podcast. <laughs> So is Greco-Roman more popular in one area of the world versus because it seems like more U.S. and certainly more U.S. colleges focus on freestyle? Yes, uh, Greco-Roman is a lot more popular, I think, overseas, especially in European countries, because overseas there is no there is no collegiate folk style. There is no high school folk style. Um, so a lot of a lot of athletes overseas they stick to one style. They stick to either freestyle or Greco throughout their whole entire life ever since there was a child. While here in the U.S., we start off uh, wrestling folk style, which is more like freestyle, but it's more scrambling, which transitions well for freestyle, but not Greco. What Then what attracts you to Greco? Uh, so I started at a very young age uh, judo. I don't know if you guys are familiar with judo, but it's, it's very similar to Greco-Roman wrestling. Uh, we have a gi on, and and we're we're it's more of upper body. We're trying to throw the guy with, with arm throws and and head and arms and stuff like that. And it's it's very similar to Greco Roman, and you use your hips a lot. And I transitioned very well from that into Greco Roman because I had that background. Yeah, I was I was curious about how much of the judo skills transferred over to wrestling, and that that answer. What what other kinds of judo skills do you end up using that maybe your opponents don't necessarily have with that your background so i had i had pretty much all the basics down for like throws and stuff like that while like other kids here in america they start off as folk style wrestling folk style and it's more of double legs single legs you know attacking the legs while judo i had i had the fundamentals down of of actually grabbing somebody and throwing them and using my hips and body locks and stuff like that. So it transitioned very well into that Greco-Roman style. Allison talked about the slapping earlier. I want to know a little bit about, there seems to be a lot of hand grabbing when you're first dealing out. And, you know, A, why do you do that? Is it mostly to lock up each other's hands so they can't do anything? And B, how, how good's your grip strength? And C, do you break a lot of fingers? So in Greco-Roman, it's it's frowned upon to to grab the fingers. The referees will literally uh, so they they would, they would caution you in a match if you're grabbing too much fingers. But in Greco-Roman, it's it's very utilized. You you try to grab onto somebody. It's called a two-on-one where you grab his fingers and then you grab his his tricep or his bicep, and then you control the match from there. Yeah, it's very it's very crucial in the sport to to have really good grip strength. So, see now I want Greco Roman wrestlers to paint their nails like really elaborately. Oh yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> that we can see it. <laughs> I mean, you know, don't get acrylics or anything because that would lead to a whole other level of injury. But like to make it really pretty. So, oh, I see what he's doing. It's pretty That's nice. YouTube well, when, when you're grabbing fingers throughout the match. I've seen some kids break their fingers. It's, yeah, it's pretty brutal sport. <laughs> One of the things I wondered, you, know, how much do you know your opponents going into that, and how how do you develop game plans? Because it seems like this is a challenging sport, not just physically but mentally, because you're just trying to find that one little 
one little weak link that will take your mm -hmm. opponent that you can use to take your opponent down. Yeah, especially in my level, the senior international level, most matches are are scored three two, five three. You know, it's it's very low scoring. It's it's if you talk to a lot of Greco Roman wrestlers, it's a, it's a chess game when you're wrestling. You know, tough guys because everybody's at the same level. Yeah, it's 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 a chess game. Um, you got you got to make sure you study your opponents, especially for the world championships or, you know, me going to the Olympics right now. I'm pretty much have everybody already studied. I know what everybody does, and what their specialty is. So I try to capitalize that to win the match. So who else, obviously besides you, should we be paying attention to? What other countries? What other wrestlers are going to be interesting to watch in Tokyo? Uh, in my style, in my weight class, we have Barrero, which is the Cuban Olympic champ, world champion as well. Um, he's a really tough guy in my weight class. Um, Serkov, he's a Russian, really tough guy as well. My weight class, he's a, he's a past world champion. Everybody, <laughs> my, my weight class is pretty stacked. Everybody's a world champion in my, my weight class. We have Egypt, Russia, Cuba. Yeah, we have we have a lot of tough guys in my weight class, but anything can happen in this sport. So talking about weight class, we read Foxcatcher, and they talked a lot about cutting weight and making weight. And a lot of those stories were really a little gruesome. So how does that work for you? And how does that work at the Olympics in terms of when you weigh in? And are they making changes so that the wrestlers aren't doing these really dramatic cuts? They did. They did. They did make a change a couple years ago, about three, four years ago. They used to be weigh-in and then take the whole entire day off, eat as much as you possibly can, and then wrestle the next day. Uh, so now, uh, <laughs> so now we have weigh-in the same day and we wrestle the same day. So it takes that burden off of the wrestler, you know, cutting off, cutting a lot of weight before the tournament, and then you know, making it unhealthy weight cuts so uh i don't know i never had a problem with my weight cut i usually i've been doing this for my whole entire life so i know how to eat well before a tournament and get my weight down and run and sauna and do all that stuff to to make sure my weight's good before before a tournament and how much of a difference is there between your in shape training weight versus your competition weight? Um, not that much of a difference. It's about six, seven kilos, which is about 12, 14 pounds. And that's not a big deal to me because um, I have a lot of water weight that I carry. I drink a lot of water throughout my training, and that makes it easier for me when I have to cut weight. I'm like, that's dinner for me. <laughs> You talked a little bit about learning other wrestler specialties. What are your specialties? My specialties in in a match would be getting to my to my my underhooks, my underhooks, my you know pushing the guy, making sure the guy gets tired, getting to my my positions, which in turn lead me to my throws, uh, and just scoring and my parterre. Once once I get the guy going throughout a match 
He's going to start getting tired. The referee's going to see that. He's going to put him down in parterre, and that's when I finish the match right there. I have really good parterre. In parterre, somebody is on the bottom. Why do we see them crawling around a lot? Um, so they're crawling because they don't want to get scored on. <laughs> I'm trying to get my lock. I'm trying to get my lock. I'm trying to lift the guy off the mat. I'm trying to gut wrench him. And the guy is doing everything in his power to not use his legs to, but just a crawl, use his chest to break my lock. It's a lot of, it's a lot of movement down there. So in Greco-Roman, there's a lot of throwing people. There can be throwing people on their heads. What is it like to both throw someone on their head or get thrown on your head? Oh, it's it's an adrenaline rush. <laughs> That's why I fell in love with this sport. I threw some kid on his head freshman year of high school, and I and I, I fell in love with it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's I part of the sport. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I mean. There's video out there of Alexander Karelin, who's obviously different weight class, but just the the fear that people had when he would just dump them on their heads. Oh my goodness! Yep, he would lift a 250 pound man and throw him on his head. It's it's something. It's beautiful to me. I love seeing that, and that's the sport of Greco-Roman wrestling. That's why a lot of people like it to see to watch it. But is it beautiful to your mom? <laughs> Yeah, she's the one that encourages me to do it. So she's been around the sport for a while now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the, the moms of wrestlers, I find, fall into two categories. Either they are the ones, you know, Terrified. that I would fall into and couldn't watch, or they're the ones screaming, kill him. Yeah, so. that's my mom. That's my mom right there. <laughs> I like See, my grandma, my grandma, my grandma is different. My grandma would never ever go to one of my tournaments. She doesn't like to see that. Oh, my mom, yeah. My mom's totally a fan. So you are in the U.S. Army. How does that work with your training and your professional commitments? How does that all come together for you? It's, you know, it's the best program, I think, in the world. The best Greco-Roman program we have right now is in the Army right now. And, you know, I can't thank them enough. I was I was struggling before I, I, I came into the Army financially and found out about this program. When I actually actually before before I found out what the world class athlete program was, I actually wanted to join the army because right after college I was at the Olympic Training Center for about a year, and then uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life, and I wanted to get into law enforcement because I was a criminal ju justice major at uh, Northern Michigan University, so I thought joining the army and, and pursuing a, a military police MOS would be a, a good choice for me. And then I found out about the world-class athlete program. So I could be doing both those things and signed up right away. What does it take to get into that program? Do they have a selection process or how does that work? I believe any soldier could do it. Um, you know, it's definitely, you have to be an elite athlete to do it and you have to be specific to your craft. So if you're a boxer and you're in the army and you want to do it, I think there's all army camps that we do every year where it's like more of a, a camp, a two week camp where they do like a recruiting process. We do that in the, in the, in the wrestling program. And, uh, they actually, I, f I found the world-class athlete program when I was training at the OTC, they came up to train there 
And then I met the coaches there and they explained to me the process of, of joining and I ended up enlisting after that. Yeah, one of our uh, past guests who does modern pentathlon is, is also, I believe, part of that program because she is also in the Army. But it, it seems like such a, a beneficial program and a very good structure to allow you to both get the training you need and not have to worry so much about other elements of life, like i.e. I. finances and healthcare, which is a problem mm-hmm. for athletes in small sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I went through the basic and I went through AIT. So I'm, 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 my specialty is military police, and I, I've gone through all that. And you know, I'm a soldier athlete. It benefits both me being an athlete and me being a soldier. So it's a great program. Great program to have. So being an elite athlete, how was basic training? It was fun. I had I had a great time with basic training. <laughs> Actually, I learned a lot the drill sergeants found out who I, who I am <laughs> through the internet. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was taking care of basic training pretty well. <laughs> right. And if anybody got a line, they would just say, Oh, excuse me. Could you just come throw somebody on their head? They're, they're causing trouble in the barracks again. Yeah. I was, I was, I was the number one for combatives. The it, I was doing all that stuff and it was, it was a great time. I had a great time with basic training. I want to ask, what didn't we ask about Greco-Roman that you want people to know about? Greco-Roman? I don't know. It's it's a great sport to watch. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it's, a, it's a broad question. <laughs> I'm a... question. That's fine. No. So, you know, whenever it's a sport that we're not terribly familiar with, mm-hmm. sometimes we don't even know what we don't know. And so I, I like when it's a, a sport I really don't know to say, mm-hmm. did we miss something super important about watching it or about the competition or about something that is so exciting for you as an athlete that we as spectators would miss otherwise? Yeah, so in, in the sport of Greco-Roman, you have to, you know, this this is a lifelong sport. You know, these athletes that, that are in this sport have, have committed their whole entire life to this sport. They've made so many sacrifices. And you see it at these tournaments, you know, there there is highs and lows in this tournament. And when, when I won the Olympic trials, I had my teammate, unfortunately, Ellis Coleman, that was in the finals with me as well. And, and I ended up beating him. And, you know, it was a very high for me, but a very low for him because he ended up losing. We were both teammates. And... It's it's a beautiful sport. I think, I think the techniques that we that we, that we show during a match and and all that stuff. It's it's it's. I don't know. I can't really explain it too well, but it's it's beautiful. I love I love watching Greco-Roman wrestling. I love watching wrestling in general, freestyle, folk style, all those sports. One thing that I that is so exciting about wrestling too is the. Sp- it can look like it's very slow while you're feeling each other out. But once you find the weak link in an opponent or the the opponent just caves for a second and you can take advantage of it, it's very fast. And, and if you blink, you missed something super big. Mm-hmm. How do you develop that speed and balance it with such strength? It's a lot of repetitions. So I've done over a thousand arm throws i've done over a thousand head and arms i've done a thousand body locks it's all muscle memory in greco-roman wrestling 
and uh, developing that quick that quick touch, you know. So that's that's all that's all done in practice. You know, you're in there doing repetitions. You're in there lifting. You're in there working out every single day, twice a day, and it's 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 a lifelong lifelong commitment. You know, you got to be doing this for for about 10, 12 years to to actually start figuring out what Greco-Roman wrestling is and how to wrestle. When when yeah, when you put it in that context, there's some sports where you can pick them up very quickly, but learning that technique and building that strength just takes years and years to mm-hmm. to get on top. So this is a nice culmination of of the work you've put in. So when do you head over to Tokyo? And what is that process like in wrestling? Because I know in other sports, they're like staging things to kind mm-hmm. of get over there at stages. Yeah, I believe Team USA Greco leaves um, July 17th to Tokyo. Uh, we're going to have a two-week acclimation camp there. Pretty much getting our way down. We've done all the wrestling already. It's pretty much getting acclimated to the to the environment, getting our way down, and... Uh, Pretty much the mental, the mental game. You, you, you making sure you're mentally prepared for the big stage, the Olympics in August. My 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 tournament will be August third, I believe. August third and August fourth. Getting prepared mentally, how how do you do that? Is it more shutting out the rest of the world? Pretty much, it's making sure you're you're you know. Shutting out the world, yeah, that's that's a good one. Uh, you know, doing meditation, uh, studying my opponents, uh, pretty much mentally seeing myself at the Olympics, wrestling these guys, and just making sure I'm mentally prepared, making sure everything's right, I'm eating right, correctly, my conditioning's right. That's all. It's all part of the mental mental mindset game. Now you compete indoors, but the heat in Tokyo is, well, there's a lot of heat and humidity in Tokyo, but you're from Florida. Mm-hmm. So this is not a problem. You'll be at home, right? Yeah. It's just like home. <laughs> it's it's going to be summer over there. It's going to be humid. You know, that's, that's my type of environment. That's where I thrive. So it's all, it's all looking pretty good for me. <laughs> it's looking pretty good. I don't good. know if the bugs are quite it. as big in Tokyo <laughs> as they are in Miami. I'm not sure. I've never, I've never been over there, so it's going to be a first time for me. So hopefully not. I don't like bugs. <laughs> How can you not like bugs and be from Miami? Come on. <laughs> I don't wow. mind the mosquitoes, but then the bees and the hornets and the really spiky things I don't like. <laughs> I just want to say, though, I do want to um, possibly watch your match on a live feed with your mom. Because that would yeah. be fun. That would be awesome. She'd be and screaming. your grandmother and and the whole <laughs> clan. Because yeah. I'm sure they're going to all get together and watch at like three o'clock in the morning or whatever mm-hmm. time it's, the time difference is going to be. That mm-hmm. would be a, that would be fun. Yeah, they're probably going to be doing a whole, uh, a watch party at Miami with the whole entire family and all my friends down there in Miami. Nice. That'd be fun. Nice. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time, Specialist Sancho. We really appreciate it. Uh, I know it's it's tough taking some time out, but but thank you for helping explain your sport. 
Thank you so much, Alejandro. Alejandro competes on August 4th, so be on the lookout for his competition. Uh, you know, when he, we were talking about cutting again, because that is one of the things we like to talk about with weight class sport athletes. And he said, it's, uh, he doesn't have to cut that much. It's like just like six to seven kilograms, which to me is a lot. But then he's like, well, it's mostly water weight. Which I makes would me... love to have six to seven pounds of water know, weight that I could right? just, you know, let go of right in the bathroom, so to speak. <laughs> Sit in a sauna and have that all just come on out. I don't. Well, I mean... Speaking of Tokyo, if he needs to cut weight, he can just sit outside. Yeah, that's true. Sweat it out, man. All right. Before we get on to our other segments today, we'd like to thank our Patreon patrons. They are the ones who help us keep this show afloat financially because we do have a lot of bills to pay and we do have some on the ground coverage in Beijing 2022 to cover money wise. So if you would like to support us as well, check us out at patreon.com slash flame alive pod. Welcome to Shukfastan. It's time to check in with our team, Keep the Flame Alive. These are our past guests who make up our roster of Shukfastanis. First off, racewalker Evan Dunphy has a new sponsor. Speaking of not cutting weight. Oh, this is the best. His new sponsor is Kraft Dinner. And if you're not familiar with Kraft Dinner, you might know it better as Kraft Mac and Cheese, which I think is just the best thing because, as Evan said on Twitter... Today, I got a sponsorship with Kraft Dinner and then got a 15-kilometer personal best in training. There are no coincidences. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're walking 20 or 50K, you probably need some Kraft Dinner in you. And here's the thing. Evan Dunphy is a ginger. A ginger. Mm-hmm. Kraft macaroni and cheese is the food equivalent to a ginger. I see the connection. There we go. As Evan says, there are no coincidences. Roy Tomazawa is featured on a CBS Sunday morning piece about recapturing the magic from the 1964 Olympics. And we will have a link to that in the show notes. And artistic swimmer Jacqueline Simino was on Radio Canada to talk about her preparations for Tokyo. I think they're there now. I think oh, they're in they? Japan. Ah, oh, so exciting. Just a reminder that uh, even though Tokyo 2020 is going to happen... Book Club is still coming up, and it's a great time to get our next selection called 7-7 by Shuklastani. Ben Ryan, it's about the uh, Fiji men's rugby sevens team and their quest for gold at Rio 2016. And it's it's an excellent read. I am mostly through it. I am so excited to watch Fiji compete at uh, Tokyo, and you will be too. You can get 7-7 at bookshop.org slash shop slash flame alive pod. We get a commission from books purchased through our link that helps us pay those bills that we keep talking about. So please support the show that way with your book purchases. So T-Bock is in Tokyo and... It's he, like the, the the atmosphere sunk into his pores. Exactly, because he did have an Uncle Yoshi moment, as we like to call them. When you go, oh, Uncle Yoshi, I cannot believe you said that. Because he slipped up during a speech and he called uh, the Japanese people Chinese. And that did not go over well. Uh, the, the Associated Press reported this. And 
he said, our common target is safe and secure games for everybody, for the athletes, for all the delegations, and most importantly, also for the Chinese people, Japanese people. T-Box said, well, he caught us. He slipped over the word. I am totally giving T-Box a pass on this for two reasons. One, he's speaking not a native language of his own. And two, he's talking about Beijing 2022 at the same time. So he's got Japan and China on his brain. So the interpreters did not interpret the mistake, but people, enough people who were in the know caught it and, of course, found its way to social media where it was a big thing. So hopefully this is just the only time that there will be a slip up like that. Atibak has also met with Prime Minister Suga and and they apparently had a very nice meeting and additionally the uh, the IOC reported that the Tokyo organizing committee said there have been about 8000 people who have come into the country between in the first half of July and only 3 have tested positive for COVID-19 after arrival and were immediately isolated and I think that's the, you know, those, those are the stories we hear about, like the Serbian rower and the Ugandan uh, athletes and coaches that, that had that happen to them. So I think the IOC is trying to say, hey, yeah, we're hearing about all these people who are showing up with COVID, but know that a lot of people are showing up with no COVID. I, I think they're trying to keep a perspective on that. That's really hard to keep in a time of social media. And we all want to have the bad news lead. But that doesn't mean that people aren't still getting exposed. So the Asahi Shimbun reported that the South African Rugby Sevens team has been exposed. The refugee team got exposed. And where where were they exposed? In no two coaches tested positive before they left Qatar. Oh, okay. Uh, the Brazilian team members were exposed at a hotel by hotel staff who were positive. And, and kind of like, what do you do with this now? Because I, there's no real way to keep everyone in a bubble unless you have every staff member suddenly not be able to go home for two weeks if they have to quarantine. And there's just no space for that, I think. It's going to be tough. We just got to hope. We got to hope. Keep our fingers crossed hope people are doing their jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Kyoto News reported that the Olympic Village is open and athletes have begun to arrive. They don't have the usual fanfare welcoming ceremonies that they used to get, which is kind of, you know, that's one of those things that I understand why it has gone by the wayside for this Olympics. It's still kind of, it's, it's really, it's sad that that doesn't, doesn't get to happen. I've seen pictures where different balconies are, decorated with flags for different countries so that's really cool or if they there's one for japan and they have several floors so on the whole look of the balcony is the the rising sun of the flag yes i saw that that is very cool i i do want to know we still have one week to go and I, i understand that some sports kick off before the opening ceremonies starts But as we are taping, we are still more than five days away from any sports happening. And athletes aren't supposed to arrive until five days before. So what's up with that? Oh, you mean who the athletes are that are arriving in the village? Yeah. But but it doesn't even matter because the the Kyoto News reported and also 
uh, Inside the Games reported that athletes were arriving. The Inside the Games story came out on Tuesday, July 13th. And that is more than five days before the softball tournament starts or the football tournament starts. Why are there athletes in the village now? Because they're not supposed to be. Yeah, interesting. I hadn't even done the math. As we know, I have trouble with math. So. (laughs) Well, I was. And I also have trouble with time zones, so I clearly don't know what day (laughs) is happening. Yeah, but still, it's just one of those like, huh? So what? I I do wonder how much of what's going to happen is theater, and we're telling a nice story versus what's going to actually happen. So uh, we shall see. I kind of wonder if some of these ceremonial things or or different events will sneak back in. We've got opening ceremony news. Japanese Emperor Naruhito is likely to attend the opening ceremony, according to the Kyoto News, and he should be declaring the start of the games, but lots of foreign dignitaries don't plan to come. Good. In a way, that's kind of interesting. I know you have opinions on this because uh, the U.S. has said that uh, Dr. Jill Biden may be the the USA representative at the games. Thoughts? If fans can't be there, why can VIPs be there? Because Jill Biden, as vaccinated as she is, is bringing a staff. She's not coming by herself flying coach, right? She's got to bring her staff. She's got to bring her Secret Service detail. That is a lot of unnecessary people. And I understand the importance of VIPs showing support, but Dr. Biden and her entourage should stay home. Well, and and it's not like... The other VIPs who will be there don't have entourages either. I mean, appropriately so. Right. They've got to travel with security. They have to travel with the staff. I mean, that's appropriate, but it's not appropriate for them to go when all the Japanese fans can't even go to see the events that are happening in their own city. Right. It is. I I do agree with that. It's, It's interesting because this is also a missed opportunity for diplomatic meetings to happen with Japan and other countries. So you lose that as well. More fun news. The Team USA revealed its opening ceremony outfit. And our Shook Flastani, Connor Fields, appeared on the Today Show to model the flag bearer's outfit. Which, did you see this? Team USA Ken doll. <laughs> the Team USA opening ceremony uniform has a blue blazer and the, the flag bearer's has a white denim jacket. With a fan in it. Oh, there's a fan in the jacket. Oh, okay. So that it cools them off. No, oh. I, mean, I didn't mean like a person that they're hiding to cheer for them, <laughs> like actual cooling device. I actually, well, I thought you meant like a paper fan. I'm like, how are they going to hold the flag and then just like whip out this fan to fan themselves off? No, in the back, in the center of the denim jacket, there's the silver dot. And it apparently is some kind of cooling device because the outfits have jeans a knit shirt, a scarf, and a jacket. And I'm thinking, that is hot. And it's dark. It's all dark blue in the regular uniforms. Oh, team! I mean, thankfully, not too many Team USA will be marching because they'd be passing out. It's a hot outfit. Uh, there are other opening ceremony uniforms that have been released, but we have not talked about on the show. But they are very exciting. So first up is Czech Republic, which... Not we- hot. No, not hot. It It's reminiscent of a folkloric costume. It's a white skirt. It's a blue top or white pants. The blue is indigo that's dyed in a Japanese tradition. And the 
blue portion of the uniform has a print on it, which is a flower and the Czech symbol for gymnasts, which is supposed to be Vera Koslovska, who was the gold medal uh, at that time Czechoslovakian gymnast who won in 1968. And they have a little fan with the same print on it. It's very nice. It's a beautiful combination of traditional Czech things and Japanese cultural references. And more importantly, it looks much cooler. And denim. Oh. And we've also seen them. Have you ever worn jeans when it's really hot? I don't wear jeans when it's really hot because they're hot and it makes me hotter. Although. I know. And then you. Oh, well, there you go. You cut weight. Yeah. We've also seen Mexico's uniform, which is navy, and it's uh, kind of a, a the women have a skirt and the men have uh, pants, and there's a blazer, but the blazer, one of the lapels on the blazer has four flowers on it, and it's very, looks very folkloric and traditional and vibrant, and then the lining of the jacket is also in this flowered pattern. It's very cool looking. I'm very excited to see the opening ceremonies costumes. I'm also excited to see who gets to march. What kind of numbers you mm-hmm. mean? Also in news, there are changes to the Olympic oath that uh, I think we talked about this when we talked about Rule 50. So the the that will include an anti-discrimination clause to it. Inside the Games reported that the medal ceremony is going to be a little bit different this year where usually a dignitary puts the medals around uh, the athletes' necks and gives them a little handshake and maybe a little cheek kiss. But uh, this year, the athletes will give the medals themselves, which, okay, so somebody is going to have them on a tray, and that person will be wearing gloves and everything will be disinfected. And they will present the tray to the athletes, and the athletes will pick up the medal and put it on their own necks. But there's still going to be proximity with the person on the tray. This just made me think of, talk about obscure historical reference. Napoleon crowned himself emperor. (laughs) And I just feel like it's going to have that bit of self-aggrandizement to it when you put the medal on yourself. Though a lot of events have done that this past year. Right. It still looks strange. And and it's been kind of, it'll be interesting to see what teams do because... I've seen medal ceremonies that have been very nice where maybe the captain or one person of the team presents the rest of the medals to the other team members. And that's really kind of neat. But I've also seen where the medals have been, they've been kind of walked in by the traditional people who would be presenting the medals and they've been put on a table or the table is already staged. And then the athletes just walk off and take the medal off the table and put it on themselves. I feel like it's the whole, uh, more of the theater again. This is the perfect opportunity for Japan to show off its robotics prowess. Mm-hmm. Have a metal robot. Would be fantastic. <gasps> Have a robotic tea box. Oh. His little glasses <laughs> and his little Olympic tie. <laughs> Can you imagine what that would be like? That would be fantastic is what it would be like. What are our opening ceremonies outfits going to be? I'm going to have probably my Team Sammy shirt on. Excellent choice. I've got to work on that. I'm not quite sure. I need I need thoughts. I don't know. Hmm. You know, speaking of getting ready for the Olympics, we are putting the finishing touches on an ebook that is our viewing guide for watching the game. So it'll have a day-by-day schedule at a glance as to 
what time things are on and when if it's a, a regular competition versus a metal competition. We also have most of the matchups up there and uh, a little bit about the sports. So look for that on Amazon. We will be promoting that over the next week. And that's going to do it for this episode. Let us know if you'll be watching wrestling during Tokyo. Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call or text us at 208-352-6348. That's 208-FLAME-IT. We're Flame Alive Pod on Twitter and Insta. And keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. Monday is the 25th anniversary of the opening ceremonies of Atlanta 1996. So we're going to have a discussion on the impact of those games on the city as we go out to music by Mercury Sunset. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive. Looking at Gromo Reco Wrestling with a specialist. Whoa. What did I say? Gromo Reco. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>